Hi, I'm Mike Seeley, host of the Diversity Matters podcast show. Before you start listening to the season two finale, I want to take this opportunity to thank you all for your amazing support and participation in the first two seasons of the show. It has been an incredible journey of learning, sharing, and growing together as we explored various aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion in our personal and professional lives. I am so grateful for the opportunity to host this show and to have such wonderful guests who generally share their stories, insights, and expertise with us. I'm also thankful for the feedback, comments, and reviews from you, the listeners, who made this show possible and meaningful. You are the reason why I do this show and why I'm passionate about Diversity Matters. I hope you enjoyed the first two seasons as much as I did, and I look forward to bringing you more engaging and inspiring episodes in the next season. Please stay tuned and keep in touch with me on social media or email. I would love to hear from you and learn more about your thoughts and experiences on Diversity Matters. Thank you again for being part of the amazing community. This last episode of Season 2 is slightly longer than my previous episodes and will take you into a world that most of us know little or nothing about. My guest will share her emotional stories, which at times will be uncomfortable to listen to, but are very engaging. It is also an inspiring story that must be told, and it is with God's blessing that she is alive to share it. Please make yourself comfortable and brace yourselves. You ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Diversity Matters Show, the podcast where every voice is welcome and every story is celebrated. Join Mike and his guest as they deep dive into the heart of inclusion, equity and diversity. They explore whether real change is happening and open up honest dialogue that touches on various DE and I subjects. From inspiring conversations to challenging ones, with the hope of sparking thought-provoking discussions. Now, here's your host, Mike Seeley. Welcome to another episode of the Diversity Matters podcast show, where I celebrate the stories of those who have overcome adversity to achieve greatness. Women who end up in abusive relationships that spiral into a life of being exploited, physically abused and addicted to drugs face a range of risks. These risks can be physical, emotional and psychological. According to Women's Aid, some of the risks that prevent women from leaving abusive relationships include danger and fear. Women who leave abusive relationships are at a higher risk of violence. In fact, 41% of women killed by a male partner or former partner in the UK in 2018 had separated or taken steps to separate from them. Isolation. Abusers often work to weaken the victim's connections with family and friends, making it extremely difficult to seek support. Isolation leads women to become extremely dependent on their controlling partner. Shame, embarrassment or denial. Victims may be ashamed or make excuses to themselves and others to cover up the abuse. Perpetrators often minimize, deny or blame the abuse on the victim. Trauma and low confidence. Victims have very limited freedom to make decisions in an abusive relationship. They're often traumatized, regularly told you couldn't manage on your own, you need me. Fear is constant and they live in a world of everyday terror. 
My guest on today's episode is Javina Green. Javina explains how for over six years she was trapped in an abusive relationship that spiraled into a life of being exploited, physically abused and addicted to drugs. That life left her alienated and abandoned by her family who tried many times to help her. Through her resilience and determination, she was able to escape and is rebuilding her life and has also reconnected with her family. Javina's journey from difficult past to a promising future is an inspiration to many. In this podcast, we will delve into her life story, her music career, and her efforts to support women in refuge through her organization, FAM, Females About Music, which cares not only for the protection of women, but the protection of their rights and ownership of their work. We will explore how she overcame the challenges she faced and how she is using their experiences to help others build their lives through music. Javina, welcome and thank you for joining me on the Diversity Matters podcast show. Hello, hi, Rack. I know that we've spoken and mentioned on the intro that, you know, you've been in an abusive relationship, but just tell me a little bit what it was like before you started that relationship. What was life like for you? My life is such a whirlwind. I say there's so many layers to it. Before the relationship, I was heavily in addiction. I probably didn't want to admit it. So I was on A-class drugs. You know, I was still, at that stage, I wasn't as productive as I previously was in what we would say productivity, like managing to work and stuff. I think by the time I had got into the relationship with him, I had already experienced a lot of abuse. And I think it's something that I, I share quite openly is, you know, what intimacy and in the sense of like laws and stuff around domestic abuse is something that I speak to professionals about. I previously, before him, had already experienced sexual abuse, sexual assaults, I would say sexual exploitation. I would say I wasn't like a heavy duty organized crime kind of involvement in that, but I was around what organized crime would be in the sense of drugs and selling that. So within that and within the idea of abusive relationships, I think it's a kind of a great area sometimes because people believe that you have to be in this long period or actually that's my partner. Mm. And my experience is a little different. And I think some women have them as well, where you are intimate in the sense of sexual things that are happening within the drug scene mm-hmm. and using drugs. I think there's a, a vast layer to that that goes unhidden. And so before the relationship, I'd already found myself knowing for a very long time that things weren't right, that I was being abused. I was mm-hmm. being sexually assaulted. I knew at times where I was coming back from nights out or what I would we would call house parties, um, after parties, that the idea or the way people viewed me in the sense of the party girl or the one that needs drugs was being exploited. So for me to have the thing that I or my body at the time was, I would say body and mind was actually needing, kind of like a necessity of what I would say the layer up to using or drinking to the addiction mm-hmm. or alcoholism, I think people knew that and exploited that. So for me to have something, I had to do X, Y, Z. Um, And sometimes didn't want to do that. I remember that. And so before I met him, 
I knew about this guy in, in, in my area. I knew about him, his brother, his past experiences, like on what we call the road scene. You hear the echoes and the current, you know, not to say the other guys were all that great, but don't go near this one. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd heard about his p- previous relationship. So even sometimes passing and pubs you would go to or places you would see that I would see him and kind of avoid too much communication. But it was like a very weird world that I was in because although I was avoiding certain people that were like, he's really violent, he's this, I was also experiencing that. And I think my mind kind of adapted to navigating, well, that seems worse than this. Hmm. And this kind of delusional kind of mindset that it ain't that bad. And then the kind of probably what I would say through counseling and stuff is like the survival survival kind of mind changes where you're like for me to keep going this is okay right you know I kept telling myself this is how it is don't worry I kind of like even started to tell myself when people would like call me names and stuff like that you know road names it's not great what we get called but I'd be like no I'm choosing to do that I'd be like this coat of armor of Mm. it's my decision rather than it be someone abusing me Right. If that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, like just before him, it wasn't like I was in a separate world of all greatness and and right. it was amazing. I was managing or surviving with them layers and factors. Okay. So you you mentioned that particular relationship you knew about this person and you tried to avoid. How did you actually then end up in a relationship with that person? What what was the trigger point there? Yeah, so it was through drug addiction. At that time, every year previously, I had lost a child. It was very traumatic. And every year I would go through this thing. And and strangely as well, in addiction, and people know that I would imagine people that are recovering or actually in it would definitely identify. Although you're going through a traumatic situation, you use that situation to manipulate and use how to get and gain what you need kind of thing. So Mm. every year I was going through this anniversary, this anniversary of this child that I lost. And this one particular year, I had lost all avenues. I'd literally, people that was okay with me chilling, you know, really good, good people. Like I know Mm. people were like, oh, well, they may have been using too. So what good is that? But they're not bad people. You know, I think Mm. everyone can make their assumptions, but you know, I remember clearly the day and I was out for weeks using and I was asking for more stuff and more stuff. And, you know, I had people in particular seeing me and just being like, you need to go home. You need to stop. Like, I think people started waking up regardless of them chilling with me before. It was just like, no, this is too much. <laughs> and I just remember no sleep, not eating, constantly using, but I had nowhere to go. I had already with my family started to obviously still manipulate extort money from mm. them in a way of like if you don't do that something you know is going to happen although there was things happening I was utilizing it to get what I needed and this particular time I was near my area on this main road in East London at a bus stop and just like I ain't got nowhere to go and lo and behold met this guy and he just said I've got a place like in the other area, which mm. is like not that far. You can come there. And that was just to come there and chill and carry on drinking and stuff. 
and it was a little B and B places where people maybe crimes on probation mm. houses. There's all set of people in there, and not all bad people. Well, some people that have done wrong, but you know, it was just a B and B, and that's where it started. That's how I got with him. Yeah, and this relationship or, or this you know relationship that you're in lasted over six years. Yeah. Tell me, what was the experience like over that period of time? And the reason I asked the question, I just wanted to know whether at, certainly in the early stages, were you just oblivious to that whole scenario and, and situation because, you know, you were there to be able to get access to, uh, to drugs and, and things like that? How, how was it for you over that period of time? Yeah. So I think the first times it was just like going there and it was seemed okay. It just seemed mm. like some other places that I'd been and, you know, mm, it's not as bad. And that was just like random and I'd go back to my nans and then I'd go back there. The day where that changed on that time was I was there for, I was there for a little bit. Like it was just where I was. And mm. um, I remember the first time, it, you know, it wasn't, it didn't start, it didn't take long as much as it was a buildup of just linking up and stuff. This particular time, something changed in the group setting because there was mm. a young guy, I'll use in road terminologies, but this send out guy, young boy that he would just be like, go to the shop now. Mm. You know, he would just come there and smoke and and that young lad had a lady there and, and this a young girl um, it's just a little room, mattress, shower inside, and a sink, and this cracked mirror on the mm. sink. And I and I say that's a, a significant thing that I always remember. This cracked mirror over the sink. I had my stuff, had my paperwork, and he just started flirting with this lady. And I literally was like, "You're not going to do that." I walked out and walked a little bit, and was like, "My bag with my paperwork, like it's got all my stuff in mm. there." And to this day, like I think most of us as survivors, and some people don't like that terminology, or lived experienced people, we got, we have their moments where it's like, why did I go back? Mm. You know, why did I go back? And I went back uh, to collect my bag, and he was saying whatever and just like blase in it. And I said to him, you, you would never be, and I mentioned another guy that I used to date previously, like mm. way back knowing that that guy and him did not like get along. That guy passed away, but I knew it would get to him. You're never mm. going to be him, so just quit it. And he turned to the two people in the room and told his friend and the girl to get out. And the young boy was saying, please don't do it. And called right. by his name, please don't do it. And when he said that, there was a little feeling like whatever kind of thing. But there was still a little feeling like, what's he talking about? Please don't do it. Mm. And he looked at him and said, if you don't get out, stab you. Wow. And the boy got out. He was like literally begging him not to do it. The girl walked out. I kind of went the same sort of pace as the, he went to shut the door. I was like, move at my back. And he closed the door, locked and pounded my face in. And it was instant violence, like literally one after the other. You know, I remember watching shows like Ricky Lake and hear, seeing like 
guest on Ricky Lake and, and the audience, they were like, if that happened to me, I'll just leave. Mm. You know, I'll just leave straight away. Like I would never go back. And that came to mind after. And it's a strange feeling when you're in it because when that happened and I kind of like laid on this mattress, he kept me there. And I was just like, don't close your eyes, but like lay still. And he was a drinker, like a proper mm. drinker. And he was out. And I remember even trying to move and his arm even twitching. And I'm like, yep, he's not passed out. Don't do it. When I kind of probably just dozed off a little bit, I come around in the morning, that cracked mirror. I went to the mirror and I, it was almost like my mind had cleared the whole experience because I got up. He started crying and I'm thinking, why are you crying? And I literally went to this sink with a crap mirror and my face was unrecognizable. Mm. I just remember thinking, is it the crap, the glass in the mirror making it like that? So I'm doing like kind of like movements to see, but like my eyes were like dumpling sizes like this. And I was just like, this is not good. And he was crying. I'm so sorry. What's wrong with me? Please don't leave. I should just kill myself. I can't believe I've done this. And I remember saying to him, like, it's so weird. Like, it's okay. Just don't do that again, kind of thing. And like this weird feeling that I was now the savior of him. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Like, don't kill yourself. It's okay. And then he went into telling me his past experience in his family, what his dad used to do to the mom, what he used to witness. And I'm now forgetting about my pain and going, this is bad. Like, what can I do to help you? Look, we can work this out. I've gone into this whole, like, support worker role kind of mm. thing um, in the midst of looking a complete mess. I wasn't me anymore. My face was got finished. So did you so stay that was then, the main based on that, part. at that time yeah, when, you, I stayed. when you, you did? Wow. And how long did you stay yeah, for? I'm assuming I it stayed. happened again. It happened again, and it got worse. Um, mm. I think, I think in between that one, I had already arranged to go to a festival. I would have to share, send you the pictures, and uh, and I had already been speaking to my friend at that time, and I'd arranged to go to this festival, and I think it was V Festival. Sorry, it was Lovebox. It was actually Lovebox. And um, he started to get nervous. And I saw his, his switch. And, you know, before we hear these things that we think are cliche, but they're not actually that mm -hmm. cliche. When we're hearing victims or survivors or lived experience people telling these things, the eyes change. It's like two people. Like mm. I would say like split person. Like I don't want to give someone like a, a mental health labeling because I feel like sometimes that gets used as excuses for the behavior. However, it was like two people, yeah. like literally bam to bam in a heartbeat. And I remember the eyes just moving and changing. And um, yeah, this planning of this love box and he was like, started to get a bit agitated. We're going to the shop, get some drink. I'd got change. I thought my eyes still look bad. What am I going to say to my friends? I had these sunglasses on. They were just resting yeah. on the swellingness. And my friend came and got me. And I, and I clearly remember that this was the first time where he just wanted to be there. He, I had to give him money and beg my friend without telling her 
look, let, so he doesn't get all thingy, let's just give him a bit of money so we can get a smoke and a bottle of drink and then we'll be mm. all right. And we did that. And it was hard to, for him to, for us to get rid of him, basically. Yeah. Um, went to Lovebox. And that was one of the first disclosures that I made in that festival. I went to the bathroom. Um, it was really hot, sweating. I was high as well. And I, I thought no one was in the little cubicles because we had like a VIP thing. So we had these lovely toilet areas. <laughs> and I, I came out and took my sunglasses off. But my other friend's friend was in there. And she saw it and she was just like, well, what? What the hell? And then I told her, I broke down and told her. And then mm -hmm. my friends were like, you're not going back there. Subsequently to that, we had planned something. My friend, the closest friend to me, stayed at my nan's, but we went back out. So we parked the car and thought, we park it, but go somewhere else. When we came back in the morning from my nan's, she was ready to go back to her area and her tires were caved in. So he had stabbed the tires in. Oh, wow. Yeah, that moment there, I think it wasn't long after that, that I knew something was really wrong because it was the threats to my nan. He would send pictures of whoever he had sent. And I say, no, my nan's not about. And he would say, that strange picture comes. And um, someone, my nan, walking to one of the parks in the area um, wow. He would leave cake hands outside the, on the wall that to know that I know you're still in there and I'm still there. He would move the wheelie bins outside the door. So like my grandma would be like, what's going on? There's the wheelie bins right outside the door. It was just these little signs to say, I'm still here. You're still there. I'm still here. And that was then I had called the first time the services and went into my first refuge. Wow. Yeah. So after getting into the first refuge was this the time when you finally got away or was no. he still around still so, connected tell me a bit yeah, about so that. i went into refuge yeah refuge was i re i always remember it's probably make me a bit emotional i always remember my my nan just crying kind of knew like i'm going somewhere because i'm packing everything and it wasn't totally out of area but it was out of area for our location mm -hmm. and it was in another place in london and I just remember going in there and, and as you know, I love the services that provide safe spaces. But when you move into there, you're dealing with how many different women, different situations mm -hmm. with kids. And this one was designed like, I'd say, not like jail, but it was like blocks, like floors, like, and it was safety, really. Mm -hmm. You know, if you weren't part of that floor, you had to be let in by someone. Just really women just trying to hold themselves, you know, like everyone's yeah. from different areas. So people are connected in different things. And you just have your room. Lucky if you have your TV, if you brought one, you have a communal area, you share the kitchen, you share the bathrooms. So you've got all different characters and personalities dealing with different, not just the domestic abuse, but different things. But I was still connected to the area, you know, because remember, mm. I'm still not clean and sober. Like I was trying, but go out, my friend would drive and then we'd be like, right, we'll go a different way to go and get this and then come back. And there were still moments where, you know, overtly I would um, find my way back there. and I, right. And I did... Before even like that refuge, before I got refuge, I was experiencing so many things with him. Like it was just, it was just so much stuff. Um, you know, I'm talking about violence in that. I'm talking about 
being choked to pass mm-hmm. out um being made then after to walk back to an area and can't breathe and being threatened if we have to call the ambulance you say anything and belts and urinating mm-hmm. spitting like there was oh, so wow. many dehumanizing kind of experiences that i feel mm-hmm. like sometimes when the punches don't affect you when he was punching me so many times it stopped affecting me and i started fighting mm-hmm. you know i would fight back and i always remember then the next he would he would up the antics Right. So it was different things. And it's very scary when you see a tool come out from somewhere or a knife or being pinned down into a position where you just know you can't move. And the only, I remember one time it was the window and the wardrobe and I was pinned in and I was thinking, I'm going to have to jump, you know, thinking that's my only route, jump. Mm. And just feeling so trapped, but in refuge, it was just this idea that I was going to break out of it. I don't know how I'm going to totally break out of it. And I slowly would get the job, trained up to do something else, be using still. But I kind of started to see that my using always led me eventually back to certain people. And it weren't just him. So it was, for me personally, my experiences, that was the thing that always pulled me back to eventually these places him or someone else that yeah. very similar so what was the the final time the final escape when you you know got yourself clean and straightened yourself out and and managed to get away yeah. what was that day like for you how did you manage to make that decision and get away for the final time when i finally got rid of him i had already then started smoking crack cocaine you know just uh, you know and I managed to fully like come away I think I saw him one more time but I was not using like that I remember um I had an incident in between me still seeing him about with one of his friends that tried to attack me and I remember he tried to rape me and mm. I went to the police station and then I saw him two weeks later in the pub and I was drunk and I walked in the pub and I just went for this guy had the police come and arrest me for common assault by battery uh, even though I had a pending case of of attempted Mm. rape so I was in probation and I saw my ex we had the same probation officer and I used to say to them something came right here like so many things that were happening with services professionals that was making me feel nervous, I distrusted them. I didn't feel safe with even the people that are appointed mm-hmm. to protect me. And I remember going to a pub with my ex and went back with him. And I remember being in this new place he was in. We were sharing, a, um, renting a room or squatting there, whatever you want to call it. And um, I thought to myself, this is going to happen again. And luckily I managed to get out of that situation by just being very naive and playing this i would say i hate using the word but a bit dumb playing it down like okay okay yep sure take all the money that's fine yep Mm. okay i'm gonna come back and then not coming back after that i never saw him but after that i started to use crack cocaine i started to be around a different set of people and different set of people and different cells of selling drugs have different cultures to them have different setups 
So I went down the road where I saw a whole different world. I've heard about that world, never really touched it that much. But this, I was there now. And that was a whole new experience. And I always say that perpetrators can be not long relationships. They can be the person. And, you know, for the life of me saying, you know, prostitution, you know, like we don't want to call it that sometimes because of what it stands for. But that's Mm -hmm. what was going on. I'm in a house. And for me to smoke, I have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G mm-hmm. with whoever. And then seeing the, the really alarming violence with knives, actual girls that walk the streets. We used to say the night crawlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the night crawlers. And I remember watching documentaries at home about this ro- our road in our area being a red light kind of area. And I remember the times when I started to be down there. And I weren't getting in cars, but I remember one time I went to a house because I owed money. And I went into this guy's house and I was just like, I might not come out of here. He was weird. Mm. I luckily got out. But so leaving the ex, I went into different relationships and you get rated for different things. So I, at the time, was just this girl that had a little change, could make a little hustle. And I dressed well and I could use and party. When I started like, overly stepped over the line where I needed crack cocaine your respect goes down really quickly Mm. and that means they treat you very different so when that happened to me I was treated differently so I'm in away from the ex but with a next set of men Uh that I've seen before been with before my ex but because of the type of drug that's around crack heroin you have a different world. It's a different setup. And I remember being set up that I took money. I was trapped in a and b There was a girl, so I always say this, sharing, not all organized crimes. It was just men that are dangerous. I've seen the women that are dangerous, and that was one incident. And she tried to get me to another area. And I remember being in this off-license and locked this main guy in this B&B that we had rented. She took me to her place. But when I saw the two guys that had come to the off-license, I knew she was taking me somewhere and something bad was going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they just looked weird. They just looked really dark. It was just like darkness. And and I managed to find a way of getting her back to the place. When we went there, that guy that I used to do whatever for um, flipped out on me. And he had schizophrenia. And he mm. was a really violent person. And I just remember getting to the window in this B&B as she was arguing with him and he was coming for me. And I saw people down smoking outside and I was like, sat that whispering, like, call the police. Right. Call the police. And I remember the police actually coming. The police came. Um, they got arrested. But I was let go. So I was told by her to go back to this base and collect the money because they're going to go and do like a check on there. And she said it was her money. And I mean, for the love of me spending maybe 20 quid on on drugs, what had happened is as they got out, he called me, this guy, to his room and B&B, a hostel, and held me there with a screwdriver and said, and I was like, it's her money. Like, I can't give you her money. Like, Mm -hmm. then I'm in trouble with her. And he didn't have anything. So I gave him the money. She then was came and she was violent. 
and I was beat and then I was told that the top guys are coming down and and for me in that hostel that time was I've never seen the main guy ever come mm. to the houses we're in and when I saw him I kind of just thought this is going to be a thing for my family whereby you're going to hear this black girl in a hostel with an overdose because I mm. believe that probably they would have injected me with heroin or something. Right. I would have just been this girl OD'd as a drug addict rather than anyone knowing what had happened. That was the thing before I would say, Mike, is I knew my world and my life was like annihilated. I'd lost all my self-worth. I didn't know who I was. I had done horrendous things to my family, you know, stealing mm. from the house. All the abuse and all the assaults and just feeling... I didn't want to live. There were so many times yeah. I was just like, I don't even care if I die. This one time something had changed me laying on that bed. I was trying to hunt for a, a chisel or some tool that I knew was under the bed. I thought, if they're going to do something, the best thing I can do, and it's strange, so I always remember watching crime documentaries like leave your DNA everywhere so that someone gets caught and they know something else gone. So this is the plan in my head. But there was one moment where they started to smoke. And they turned their back. And in my head, I was just, don't want to die like this. It was so mm. profound. It was very dark in there, like the lighting. But I was like, don't want to die. And almost like in a prayer kind of thing. Like, mm. not that you used the word prayer, but kind of like a praying moment for me. It's just like, if anything's out there, just give me this chance. And literally, the door that I thought was closed just jilted a little bit. Mm. a little light. And I just got up and just darted out of this building, like literally flew down the stairs and ran. Now, I'm disorientated because of the amount of drugs that I've took, mm -hmm. probably the adrenaline. So I'm just running. Strangely, I found my way back to my granddad's. Wow. And remember, I've just stolen from my house and been told previously, you cannot return here. Like, yeah. That was the end for them. They had washed their hands to my brother, to my mum, before they would let me back. But this time it was, you never come back to this house. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, they're not going to let me in, but I need to get in here. And my granddad called my cousin, who had just stolen from her room that she was staying in, and said to her, look at her, got to let her in. And luckily my cousin said yes. Now I explain, like, like, I don't know how my cousin felt, but I can imagine because for me, or what I did to her, um, stealing, she didn't, I didn't know afterwards. She couldn't even stay in that house while I had stayed there. Mm -hmm. She, I think she stayed somewhere else that night right. while I was there. And my granddad called my mum. So that was the turning point where mm -hmm. I would say my life changed into good because my mum didn't really believe it because of the drugs. Yeah. And I had said in between all of this stuff, I was calling the domestic abuse helpline number, which is, I would say if we do not have them services or money funding them, they were a lifeline to me. If I had to blow a little phone, I would phone and then I have to go. Mm. But it's logged, right? So there were so many times and I said, no, mum, there's something else going on. And she told me to phone that number and they phoned and confirmed on loudspeaker. I had phoned previously, but right. because the phone disconnects because of safety, they can't phone you back on that number just because it could mm -hmm. make you unsafe. And yeah, that was the time I had to, from there, detox. My cousin let me detox for a few days and, um, and I'm on heroin now. I said to the services, you will probably forget me because everyone does. And that helpline lady said, 
I can't promise you a space, but I'm not going to forget you. I will mm. pull you back. And I remember the day where my mind, my body was healing, but my mind was like, I want to use, I want to yeah. use. And my cousin's house phone rang. And that was, the, they said, you've got an outer area space, but you have to leave everything behind. Wow. And yeah, so it was, a, a, it, I always say like people talk, another cliche, divine intervention. Mm. But I do believe yeah. there was these moments where it was going, I know that you want to live. I'm going to give you one opportunity and one opportunity only. And um, so that's that was when that I took moment. it. Yeah, that was that moment. Then you yeah. left that all behind. You detoxed. You stopped using, drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm change. total abstinence. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, how, where did your life go from there? Because you, you used this place as the opportunity to, to really free yourself from what had been a horrific life, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that time. But you've come out the other side. Just tell us about how you managed to do that and where it's led you to today. Yeah. So when I moved out of area, another refuge, literally no phone, no communication, disconnect totally. I've never done that previously, even getting into another area like Mm. Kent or somewhere like with another friend. And I'd always still be attached. This time they were really honest, the services, uh, uh, women's aid. And they said to me, you are someone that has to restart fully. You can't have mm. any connection to your old, even to like my family. It was just like the location safe, you know, don't tell loads of people. I had to really listen. And it's hard because although you have a past that is so traumatic that you want to leave behind, it's all you know, Yeah, your yeah. area, like I'm in an area, like little things, Mike, like I'm in an area and I'm West Indian. Where do I get my hair products? Mm-hmm. Where's my food coming? Like, you know, like you start thinking of all these things that you probably didn't really think about too much, you know, at this time. So I literally listened, didn't have a phone, an internet phone or anything, anything like device wise, had a small burner eventually and just took the steps inside refuge, mm-hmm. went deep counseling. So I had to go to a sexual assaults and abuse counseling specialized. They, one thing I could say this time around that the women say did was they looked at all the particles of the stuff that was drawing me back in or setting me off. People say trigger, yeah. set me off again and I'm gone. So it was the drug addiction. And I knew, I said to them, I can clean up pretty quick. And I get really well really quickly and I get productive. I'm a worker, I'll graft, I would study, I will, you know, I'm not a non-achiever kind of person. The drink and the drugs, once that happens, I'll be all right for a bit and then it's old life again. So they were like, right, first thing first, we've got to look at that. So they signposted me. Then it was the counselling. And really, they were like, we deal with domestic abuse, but you've got these layers of stuff that needs, each one needs specialised services in their own right and uh, you know going having to do counseling about things that i'm very grateful for them specialized services that i know struggle with with money to keep running and mm. um, with staff because i had looked at my past and realized even before my ex it weren't just community men like normal men like i was going to parties and which taking a, a drugs and they were like solicitors there doctors and surgeons at some of these places 
that were being violent or mm-hmm. sought in me. And so when I had to like speak to new services and I had my backup, they were like, that's why, because I've literally been put into a bubble of don't trust no one no matter who you are what your background is or what work you do you can be a perpetrator and i had to like literally have them strip that back so that i could get help so that i could start building my life which was hard going to job centers that had failed me when i begging for help in my area with black eyes i had to go back to the job center and feeling like they weren't listening and like feeling anxiety and having panic attacks so I literally went into recovery for drug addiction and alcoholism and I went into their local services and then done was part of a 12-step fellowship program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for like the longest time. But alongside that, counseling, therapy, volunteering, just slowly rebuilding my life, yeah. finding my way. And inside of that, I kind of started being asked to do talks and stuff because of the detail of my experience of so many layers, like for Maric mm. Awareness, White Ribbon Campaigns, and literally speaking to professionals. Because even though I got out, what I found is that the demands on us when we're even in refuge, the demands to produce this, to get a housing application sorted, you know, we need the crime reference number. And I'm like, well, I don't trust my police force down there. And then firsthand seeing why because mm-hmm. of what happened after I'd called them f- to get that. And just like, you want me to reconnect with places to get information. So I just started finding that I can sit and be like, it's all bad and there's flaws, or could my experience be really beneficial to reshaping things or just planting a seed for someone to pause and go, I wouldn't have thought of that. And so I started doing that. And in that, I started to see, even in the new area, that there were so many women like me. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it, but it was just like, oh my gosh. And being that person that they could come and talk to, talk to, but talk about the past, but let's look at how we're moving forward now. Yeah. And I just found that I did that in recovery because of how the 12-step fellowship was like made up with sponsorship, then being a peer mentor. And through it, I just started feeling like I something was igniting in me. And I was like, I can want change. And I do want change for a lot of things. I think there's a lot of flaws, obviously, in this world. But what am I going to do about that? Yeah. Am I just going to want it or am I going to be actionable in it? And that was the first kind of thing for me is just building that. So I started piloting little things and putting myself out there and really challenging and pushing the boundaries. I don't know. Mike, if some professional will, that's that girl come in because I was, I was like, no, they're like, oh, we might get back to you. No, you're going to listen. And they're like, you can't say that. Yeah, we can. Because you're asking us to share stuff, but we never get to sit around you guys. Yeah. You know, we never get to sit around the people that are writing the legislations or saying we're going to provide this service for us. Well, actually, we don't want to do that. Have you actually really asked a majority of women are they the services that we need? And it's very hard. I know how they do it. So I just found my way like that, Mike. And I just got so excited about change, about mm. safe spaces, about even when you recover or you're stable again, and you may have had counseling. I don't ever think that one, I'm always going to be an addict. I'm always going to suffer with addiction and alcoholism, but I'm recovered in the sense of I don't have that idea anymore. It's not an issue, mm. but I know. That's not a done deal. So for me, it's like, 
working on well-being constantly, making sure that my life is full of wellness. But also I still share with women that they're like, your life is amazing now. You don't have to deal with anything. You're totally out of it. I'm like, no, I deal with the nightmares at night. Mm -hmm. I have really bad dreams to the point that I believe that I'm back there. Like I wake up and my whole view of my beautiful flat now turns into the bedsit mm -hmm. and I get very anxious then it takes me three days to get out of the house we're constantly safety planning as women so we're doing that now so I try and share the reality of what recovery looks like from all aspects and that it's not just a done deal like it's not a you get out and it's over yeah and some women will experience it because the perpetrators and whatever or then they find they're coerced back or all different elements. But for me, if you're not in that position where they, you have got that removal and that space, our journey now is the healing. And I don't think you will be able to say that personally is my view on it. People challenge me all the time is that you're going to definitely be fully healed. Yeah. Because factors in life have shown me that even when I've gone to uni and been in a studio full of men, someone's wearing aftershave that I remember from a situation. Mm. And that day, it does something to me. And mm. I'm in bits. You know, so I have to, what I've realized is I just keep being well. Mm -hmm. I just keep being well. And then, yeah, lo and behold, in that, I just start setting up things. <laughs> I think yeah. just like, yeah. And you've set up Females About Music fan. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I worked back in the services. I gave back to the service that I believe mm. saved my life. Excellent. Yeah, um, mm. I can't speak highly. I'm going to say it. There's loads of women's aids. They're all different areas, but this one's West Mercia Women's Aid. Their, their stuff, I believe, done something to me and pushed me to do what I want to do. It's your time, mm. you know, and you deserve that, but you've got to work at it. And they didn't, you know, so what happened is I went back, I worked as an idva, but I've always done music. Back in the day, the garage scene, I wanted to be an MC and mm -hmm. was inspired by Kano's Dynamite, you know, Creed MC, and, but also saw dark sides of not with them individual people, but going to private radio stations, seeing all what goes on there and I just always loved music and I was always writing in refuge mm -hmm. bus tickets and pieces of paper and diaries of how I feel poems almost or my want to write a book and then always singing always listening to music being a big part of my life and a big part of something that kept me going I think without me realizing and so I decided that I was going to go and do music again but I was working as an idfar covid here i've got a computer sorry when you say idva, and, um, what for our listeners yeah. what, so what is that yeah that's an independent domestic violence advisor it's okay. it's a, for high risk cases where like the the where the support workers for the really high risk for homicide right. for very safety prevention reduced risk they're like media idvas are like i call them angels Mm. And you can relate um, to that. Not because, that I'm an agent. <laughs> yeah, but you could relate to yeah, that being one, one because of your own experiences. You knew exactly, you know, people that needed that service. You knew how to relate to them, right? And to help them and support them. Yeah. Yeah, which is incredible. That yeah. truly is giving back, right? 
So, yeah, so yeah. from there, you got into the music. Yeah, from there, I got into the music. I was looking at studios in my area and just seeing it was predominantly men run. Mm. And then I would see sometimes loads of bottles of drink. And not that it affects me, I can't be around drink, but it's just like, ugh. okay. And then I remember phoning a couple saying, oh, do you have any female producers? And some of them were getting a bit shirty. Why? Why? And I was like, <laughs> just asking. And I was just like looking at it thinking, isn't this interesting? And then some other workers in different services heard that I was like looking at music again because I had, I got an Apple Mac and I was like, heard, I was like, does it have a music software? Maybe I can make my own beats. Why do I need to go studio? I mm. might be able to make the beats. So this guy told me Garage Band. Mm-hmm. One of a worker was even saying to me, in a, worked in a homeless service, homelessness service, and said, I've got a lady like, do you know where to go? And I was like, there's nowhere to go. I can't find anywhere. And she's like, obviously quite, not high risk, but vulnerable. So I was like, I can't, don't know where, because I can't find anywhere. And from there, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to study music. So I went to the Academy of Contemporary Music and decided to do an accelerated degree and leave the thing that I love behind and really go for it. And And I did that. And in between my experience there, first year, I was told that I couldn't run the studio without a level six student, predominantly men in production Mm. pathway. And I had an experience, no fault of his, he was a bad guy. He told me to get there on time. I was there 15 minutes early. And as we were sitting there and I needed to record for my module and he was fine, he was going to help me. Loads of guys were coming in wanting to show him his music because he was a really good producer, sought after kind of thing in 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 the uni. And he was just playing these guys' music. And literally, lo and behold, I had 10 minutes. My other friend came in to check how, it, how I was going. Really good guy. I would say his name, Louis. But, um, he came to check that I was all right. And he was like, you're not done anything. I was like, no, I'm just waiting. And then the guy that was meant to be recording me went out for food and he had to record me. And I came out of there and I said, I am never asking a guy mm-hmm. to record me in a studio. I'm going to be able to open this studio, turn on the desk and do the basics at least so I can come in here when I want. And I remember going to the tutor and they were like, no, don't worry about that. People don't do that in level. Not that you're a woman or anything. He wasn't saying that. He was like, in level, whatever, they don't really do that. And I was like, well, I am. Past my induction, opened it up. That was the start of Females About Music. I sat there and just told tutors, I'm going in the studio and if there's any women from any pathways that need me to record their their vocals or anything for their module, I'm happy to do it. And I did that. Lo and behold, it was me, another lady, production pathway. I would say shout out to Sana. She's another um, aspiring producer. And then Precious, which we are the co-founders now, mm-hmm. three of us on a different pathway, all studying accelerated degrees, um, diverse Asian, black communities, um, and we just continued doing it, just continued coming wow. in there and learning and and chilling, but talking about safety on social media and who's good organizations. And what I realized is my skills previously as a professional was beneficial in me being able to feel comfortable networking with other organizations. Mm. And I found people like Cactus City UK, I found um, in between that, joined Inspiring Leadership Foundation and got a music mentor. 
uh, speaking to Femme Fatale TV and I found these really powerful leaders as women, all diverse, mm. all different backgrounds, listening and saying, yeah, you're on the right track here and, and giving me their time. Like mm. literally, yeah, set up a Zoom, let's talk. Now, not everyone does that. So for me, it was really powerful. Like, and they've just helped me so much. They've supported us. And now we've got about, uh, I've just got to do counts, Mike. Me, Santa Precious, Tracy that found me on LinkedIn, lady doing home studio beat making for a year on a software I didn't even know about, joined. Amy Soul Clinic, her name is, a white girl that's had a bad experience, got so much to share, but an amazing rapper and writer, just an amazing yeah. person. Like we was told on TikTok, go find Javina. And then I was sent her thing and then we've connected. D-Ray, that's a soul that spiritual holistic singer and does coaching and, and Reiki. Bubsy, a white lady from Brum, that's a rapper, <laughs> lost her voice and still hitting it in another production pathway. Carol, DJ, amazing. She does soul and neo-soul DJing and is on the production pathway. Beyonce, she's a level six student and the guys are asking her to make beats. Amazing. And wow. makes rock, trap, hip hop, anything really. And an this amazing is all come singer. From females Just about me going. Oh wow! Yeah, that's, that's the females about music. And um, I daily wake up excited to go in the studio, mm. and excited to hear. And we found a way of utilizing our skills. And as independent artists, knowing the experiences when you listen to what they have, some of them are seasoned. They've been in the industry for fifteen years. Some of them and. Mm just had their masters held, bad experiences. You know, if you do that, then you do that, and you're going to get blown up and not seeing nothing. And mm -hmm. oh, sorry, I missed one, Donna Musicality as well. And literally, we're just, you, you need us to promote. Yeah, okay, we're promoting your thing. They're not paying. Mm -hmm. We just share, we post, yeah. we create reels. We do artwork for each other, Tracy AI, and... We try and do collaborations and it's working. And I feel the main thing is the women say they feel supported and safe. Yeah, that's fantastic. Somewhere they can come to. So, yeah, that's a little females about music. Now, now the other thing as well is through that, you have just released your own EP, No More Silence. Yes. That is incredible. Yeah. That was re released yeah. what, on 4th of November. Is that right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the first single off of what the album would be called, No More Silence. Um, that Yeah, and the first single is called The Crime. So this EP, the No More Silence, that single came before Females About Music. It was my first wow. track I built on, on GarageBand. It's an wow. anthem. I'm, that's like the anthem champion, and all these songs then transpired. And I remember, and The Crime's out on all digital platforms. I've just done a video. I did a video for No More Silence way back. So I'm just mm -hmm. finishing that edit because it's a big story in it. Yeah. And then um, I just did the crime one as well. So the visuals will be out next week. But yeah, proper like um, excited, but not attached to how it blows and all of that. Because yeah. I think females about music, it um, replaced something to me of my position in the music industry. At first it was me, the artist, and something changed and it was like, 
of course, like it's amazing if it blows and it's amazing yeah. this, but for me, there's something bigger needed because yeah. the statistics for women in the industry are really bad and unsafety really bad like the world mm. isn't it it's like yep. the world's made up of the people so the industry isn't exempt from that like any other place mm. so yeah that's out now that's, that's out fantastic. you can catch everyone Brilliant. so <laughs> tell me will you say that you have found your purpose now given everything that you've been through you know all the suffering the trauma you know the drugs the abuse you know, to where you are today, is yeah. is this your purpose now? Or, or are you still looking for something else? Where are you today? Nah. Well, today I feel like alongside the females about music, I set up and pushed my council for another safe space, community mm-hmm. place for women. That's run and it's just partnershiped with Inspiring Leadership Foundation, a place where consistently I've got help to build my well-being and confidence. They help women from the ages of 13 upwards. Never had heard about them and and been on their programs for now probably about a year, two years, maybe 18 months Mm -hmm. and got a music mentor. So I, these safe spaces for women, I think that is my purpose, whether it's the community arts and craft or the hub that is just about writing. I feel like there needs to be more of them for women. And I feel like, we're so diverse as a, as a community of people, whether men and women, that you have to be able to have the idea and know that it can, um, it can develop into a specialized sub hub from the main body. So like females about music as a safe space for music. I believe that there's going to be, I know, cause I'm, I'm just know that's my purpose is to create mm. this big center. There is going to be one in this country wow. where women do not have to turn anywhere to get what they need to be an artist. It's like, it, it amazes me why we don't have certain things. There's mm-hmm. loads of collectives doing it. There are, there are so many that I could name and they do it and they're specialized in certain parts. But I feel like because we're so diverse, some places need different attention. So, you know, as, as a, what you say, diversity, you know, for, 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 I'll mention an example for Sana, that's an Asian producer as a woman, mm-hmm. you know, she might not get to look at someone like that, we've talked about it. There may be a hub that's created, sub hub from females about music that is enriching the Asian women in the community to be producers mm. and engineers and, you know, top table workers. I know there's a lot of black women right now that speaking about that, getting more positions in the industry, yeah. but the percentage is low. But I feel like there's so many subcultures in, in mm. one hub that I feel this is my place. This is my purpose is to push the boundaries of our governments and the people that have money to say, we are basically your daughters, your granddaughters, your nieces. Mm-hmm. Like no one's exempt from what we go through. No, not one person yeah. is exempt from it. Yeah. Not one person is untouchable to that. And if we have positions that we can just give a little, like I, you know, just even a masterclass or you could mentor, mm-hmm. you could really inspire someone. If we open the doors more, that's, I feel like it's never going to be eradicated, but we bring more healthiness to our women, especially. Yeah. And I feel when you sit with, I sit and listen to my collective and I hear their stories. And I think 
to keep going and still be joyous and respectful to the laws and the way the society is run, even though they face some really bad things and services and governments have let them down, yeah. let them down bad. They still get up and bring joy to this world. I, I don't think it's too much to ask for a space yeah. for rent, Yeah, <laughs> you know, rent and resources. That's amazing. Javina, look, we could talk all afternoon, right? We've, we've come yeah. to the end of the show. I'm just going to ask for any kind of final words based on, you know, what advice would you give to anybody that is either going down the road that you went down or is actually in there or, or to somebody who knows someone that's in that space? What, what advice mm. would you give them? If, you're, if you are me, it's hard to say don't give up, but mm. I would say mainly there are always some people that you can return back to. Mm. And although you think they may be really hard on you or judge you or tell you off, keep sharing, keep saying what's happened. Find, Try and find that one place, whether it is your doctor, whether it's the library lady, find a place that is safe where when you're ready, to move out of that they will help you people are trained a little bit better now so i would mm. say more so now whether it's your ASDAR community person you know like mm -hmm. you know you go to the shop and you just know there's that one worker that you can chat to make sure you know what that space is for you because when you're ready to go they act pretty quickly they have to so that would be one advice i would say for someone out of it like me Keep tapping into well-being and don't feel scared to trust your intuition. Yeah. When something feels bad or is damping your light or making you slip a little bit, let, let it go. Be okay with that hmm. because there's so much more good people that you've got to meet. You just can't see it now. So just keep tapping into well-being. You know, people right. find that in different, different ways. I think parents and loved ones always say this. Don't feel bad if you've got to cut, cut someone off to protect your own environment in the mm. way that you have to do that. And that's good because although my family did that one time and I went through crazy stuff after, that was the right thing to do for the rest of the family. Yeah. So I always say that because it's such a hard one. People hold on and it, they just mm. get hurt even more and it drains them destroys family so remember as as you as loved ones you can turn to fellowships you can turn to places if you need to talk to them you know i would yeah. say like drug addiction there is analon and colon and family fellowships that you can go for support but yeah just keep i yeah keep talking and keep being keep trying to find what makes you feel well and excited Brilliant. about life i know it's hard but please do so yeah thank you for that that's great thank advice you. and look Javina I really want to thank you because you know this was a hard story to tell I'm sure probably a hard story for yeah. people to listen to but hopefully inspiring as well your resilience through that period has led you to where you are today you're in a much better place and not only that but I think that the giving back side of it you are helping so many other women um, not just in the music industry, but in the support as well, which is, is absolutely incredible. So, you know, I want to wish you every Thank success you. with everything that you're doing. 
you fully deserve it. And just say once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's, it's a real amazing. pleasure. Well, listen, you take care and I can't wait to hear your track and, and your album when oh. it comes out. <laughs> All thank right. you. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. Bye. listening to this episode of diversity matters if you liked what you heard then be sure to hit like and subscribe and we'll see you next time